0: Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. Uh, My message this morning, um, I just have to come up with a title. Is it up there? I have to come up with a title because Larissa, bless the Lord for Larissa. By the way, did she leave the room? She's worked hard on our new uh, camera system and uh, sound. And we've got Joel and Nina back there yeah. doing, the, doing the sound and the overhead. Everybody turn around and say, hey-oh! Hey-o. Just uh, letting you know you're not invisible. And uh, you're very much appreciated in, in the way that you're serving. But gold, silver, and bronze, I'm talking about metals, and I'll get to that in a second, but what I want to feed into that as we go is, is do not be confused with the conflicting attitudes of the times we're in. There are very conflicting attitudes in the times we're in. A common world view in the church today is this. We must never accept decrease, we can only accept increase. Almost everybody, I've been at this for a while, and every conference you go to, everything's about growth, 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 increase, increase, increase. There's a prevailing attitude that says if we're not on the increase, then it somehow subjugates our faith where we question our, well, you're not in faith, brother. You need to be in faith. But yet God's principles are very clear in the word that a part of increase and in life in general, there is a time of decrease. And if 60 is the new 40s, then decrease is the new increase. So there were studies shown in those that were Olympia uh, in the Olympics, the the contestants and participants in the Olympics, studies shown that the silver winner, the winner of silver, compares themselves to the winner of gold and says, I could have just done a little bit. If I could have just. But the the bronze medal winner compares themselves with I'm going home with a medal. Now, this is a study that they have have studied. They have a whole different attitude. I'm going home with a medal. And those that participated and didn't get a medal at all go home going, I participated. I was in this. So there's a, a prevailing attitude that those that came in just a little under the gold that got silver are dissatisfied and feeling they did not accomplish. Those that just simply participated and had a whole different view on it, probably many of them knew, I am not a gold medalist, but I made it here, and I'm here. Paul the Apostle in Philippians 3, verse 2, said, I have not reached the mark, but I know what I'm doing, and I'm continuing to run the race. Not as though I have obtained, not as though I've already reached the prize, I'm still pressing onward towards the prize. I think in the terms of decrease is the new increase, I would like to use John the Baptist as the example. He's the best example I could think of. In fact, it was he that used the very term he must increase. That I'm and I must decrease. Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist is an interesting study. He uh, was the first prophetic, prophetic voice in over 400 years or nearly 400 years. He had his foot firmly in the Old Testament and he had his fir- foot firmly placed his other one in the New Testament. He was the bridge between those two times. He, uh, he wore a, a coarse, it said, coarse camel hair cloak, leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. Now, in his day, he became very pivotal and very very popular. It wasn't because of his dress. Now I've often thought, you know, a camel hair coat, that's got to be pretty awful, because it does say coarse. But I looked that up, because I wanted to say, you know, John the Baptist wasn't going to make the cover of Gentleman Quarterly. But I looked up camel hair coats, they're very expensive. You can still buy them today. They're not probably like what John wore. They're, they're very... A yeah, a little more refined. So I can't use that example. But I will use the example of the John the Baptist diet. There's a lot of diets out there. There's always a trend. There's always a new popular. There's always a new diet to try. You know, And some of the ones we're familiar with, there's the Daniel diet fast. People use that for dieting purpose. There's the Atkins diet. If you want to ruin your intestines, go there. Um, there's, I even saw as I was reading a list of diets, there's the mind diet. Uh, I didn't read the specifics, but I thought, that's the one I need. You know, It's called the Word of God, which renews the mind. The washing of the water of the word and the renewing of the mind. So John's popularity wasn't because he was the, the Tony Robbins of his day and wrote a book. It wasn't the Napoleon Hill of the day, Think and Grow Rich. He didn't put out the latest diet book that made him wealthy. His popularity was this. He went and preached, Repent and be baptized as a sign that you've confessed your sins. But John's deepest destiny was not activated until he came into. The presence of Jesus. Yes. See, his deepest destiny was to recognize Jesus in the crowd and say, There's one here who I'm not worthy to tie his sandal or untie his sandal. Right. There's one here. He had a divine revelation, and in that divine revelation, I believe humility came upon the soul of a man, John the Baptist, that gave him the ability to take a revelation knowledge of God, and we all have that ability to receive a revelation knowledge of God, but humility is what's necessary or necessitates humility There to activate that. John the Baptist's true destiny, as well as our destiny, your destiny, is activated in the presence of recognizing Jesus for who he is. He saw Jesus for who he was, the Messiah. He was overwhelmed by the fact as he called out the Messiah to introduce him to a generation. I'm pretty sure, excuse me just a minute, nothing like Alaskan water brought in from. Uh, Some technology firm. I'm pretty sure John did not have in mind, he did not have what we have today. He did not have the ability of hindsight at that moment. He did not realize that even in this voicing, I must decrease that he might increase. He did not know what that meant. He simply was speaking prophetically. He was a prophet, speaking prophetically. He had no idea it was gonna lead him to where it led him. As we continue to look at John the Baptist, where did it lead him? Well, it led him to prison. You know, he was calling out the sin and he took King Herod uh, as people came to him to be baptized, I, I like his approach. He, he did not read the book, How to Influence People and Win Friends. Yeah. He, he, he didn't read that book. In fact, they came to be baptized, and he said, You brood of snakes, yeah. you vipers. He didn't know where that was going to end up. But then, I'm not sure if he was supposed to or what. It was a very political time and a very political season that he lived in. If you read about King Herod, you read about the, his brother, you read about who all the different people in politics were, they were all connected. Does it sound familiar? They were all embedded and connected and had this this thing and he stood up to Herod and he said what you're doing is wrong you're in adultery you've taken your brother's wife as your wife and Herod was not just one of the people he was the king and he said I don't like you anymore you're going to prison In the midst of that decrease in his life, being in prison, it brought about great doubt. But let's, before we get there, let's just read in the book of Luke chapter three. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman Emperor Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Ituria, and Trachonitis, I don't know, it seems like a pretty minor spot for that guy. He probably had done something that uh, wasn't well-liked, so we're going to give you this little area, that's what you can be in charge of. Annas and Cephas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan. I was looking this up in Wikipedia, too. I like Wikipedia, they're so inaccurate sometimes. It said that I said, Where was John the Baptist from? They said it, he was from um, Palestine. Palestine, at that time, what's known as Palestine today, was Canaan. So they, they liked to, to modernize it for certain um, politically correctness. The prevailing attitude of the day. Remember, let's don't lose sight of the prevailing attitude of the day. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins, turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills will be made level, the curves will be straightened, and the rough places made smooth. And then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes who warned you to flee the coming wrath. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins. Turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. How much of us? in the church today have a prevailing attitude. We're safe. We're descendants of America. I live in America. It's God, America, mom, and apple pie, and it's all good. It's at risk, it's at stake. He said, don't, don't think your safety resides in the fact that you are a descendant of Abraham. Your safety is in doing the will of God. Amen. He said, don't say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. That's one of my favorite things. I remember one time when we were living communally, uh, and we were always trying to figure out how 60 some people can survive in an area where there was not much in the way of work, not much in the way of jobs. So we had to be creative. And so we, we, we would come up with these different projects. You know, we could do different helps and stuff. We started this bakery and uh, called the Bread Life Bakery. And uh, the first thing that happened as we started the bakery and we started providing donuts to a hungry world um, was the community said, don't eat those donuts. Those people's donuts have drugs in them. <laughs> they're, they're trying to get you hooked. And we're like, yeah, that's why they're 20 cents. Yeah. But I was all of a sudden faced with the task of here's this bakery of 15 to 18 people working in it, uh, literally making probably the profit of what one person's job would be, and feeding 60 people. But I was tasked with, all of a sudden now I'm, I'm overseeing this group of people, trying to spiritually minister to them, as well as... Uh, I don't know anything about operating a bakery and we needed these people we needed people all of a sudden to come in and and keep this bakery going because we just didn't have the workforce and I remember being on my knees we had this little uh, a well house a pump house that was away from the facility Um, and uh, there was a, a just to give you a little background there was a big building and then there was what we called the, the Brother's Coop, which had one time been a chicken dorm. So we reversed the names around. And we had uh, anywhere from 10 to 12 single guys that lived there. And we had the single mom's house and the single women's house. And we had uh, the married couple's place. And we had all this stuff going on. And in the midst of this, there was this pump house. And at the time, the, the well was... Um, didn't have a submersible pump. It had the pump on top with a pressure tank. Uh, and so we had to keep a little heater in there, uh, a little oil heater. And in the wintertime here in Wasilla, wind blowing and howling, that was one of my favorite spots. I had a little, little carpet that I had there, and I would go out to that pump house. And I'd get down, and I'd begin to just intercede and call out on God and just cry out for God to, to just do what He wanted to do, you know. And this one time I was faced with, I I don't know how to meet these orders for this bread and these donuts, we don't have the people. And I was out there praying, and I came up with, God, if you do not bring us workers, You will cause the stones, just as Jesus said when he walked into Jerusalem. He said, if you didn't come out to praise me, God would raise up these stones to praise me. I don't think those were idle words. I think the stones would have literally got up and praised, you know, Jesus Christ and his entrance into Jerusalem. So I said, God, if you don't bring us workers, you're going to have to just bring us stones to do this work. And it was amazing. All of a sudden, like the next day, 20 people get saved and come in and go, yeah, we want to do something for the Lord. You know? (laughs) We're like, well, we got just the thing. Um, So here's John the Baptist. He's all kinds of popular. People, crowds coming out to him. And now all of a sudden, he's in real fix. He's in prison. I don't think that was a pleasant place. Uh, I think he was faced with great discouragement. What happened, God? What happened? I was doing your will. Yeah. What happened? And in his discouragement... And in his disillusionment, even though he had the revelation and heard the very voice of God audibly saying, this is my son when he baptized Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, he still had his moment of doubt. He still had that time of doubt in his life where he began to question, is Jesus really the Messiah? And so he sends out his two disciples, uh, two of his disciples. He sends them out he says, Go ask Jesus, are you the Messiah, or do we look for another? You see, when you're in a time of being discouraged, when you're in a time of being in decrease, things have been stripped away from your life that you, you, you had. Maybe you've gone through the loss of of a child, Uh, you've gone through the loss of a loved one, a spouse, maybe you've gone through a divorce, all of those things can just strip your life down to just decrease. God, where are you? Are you real? Are you there? The very thing you had a year ago, six months ago, all of a sudden you're questioning. In the midst of that questioning, though, and in the midst of that what I would call and term decrease, God has planned for you great increase of who he is in your life. Yes. Yes. Bring it on. It. So the two disciples, you find that over in Luke chapter 7, verses 18, 18 through uh, 23. I'm not going to read it for time's sake. They come to Jesus and they say, are you the one? John sent us to ask you this question. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or do we wait and look for another? Jesus didn't answer them right away. For the next few hours, it appears that he just went about doing what he did. He continued to heal the sick. He continued to uh, cleanse the lepers. He continued to open up eyes. He continued to preach the gospel to the poor. And after having done that, then he turned to them and says, Go back and tell John what you've both seen and what you've heard. And then he added a very powerful statement Go back and tell John what you've seen. The sick are healed, the lame walk, the blind see, the lepers are cleansed, and the gospel is preached to the poor. And then he speaks and he says, And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. I had to spend some time on that scripture. Blessed is he that's not who that is not offended of in me. How many times have Christians I know for my own life I've experienced tremendous trials and testings in my life of my faith in God? And you know, we, we lost a son and and it just shook our world, just completely shattered our our world. To the point where those of you that have experienced great loss know what I'm gonna say next. I didn't wanna be seen by people. I didn't wanna to go to the store and run into someone. I just wanted to go into a hole and hide and not come out. I think people who experience loss, like I say, a loss of a loved one, a divorce, a, a financial uh, devastation, a bankruptcy, it, It shakes you to such a degree, you're just like, I don't want to go out. And where are you, God? Why did you allow this to happen? Why did you let this take place? And God is saying, blessed is he who is not offended by me. He had to speak that to John. John, in his despair, had become offended at the fact that Jesus was continuing on and increasing while he was decreasing. It's a hard lesson. And the best thing I can tell you, and worked for me, and works for me, is when I'm in those times of decrease in my life, when something I I thought I had was taken away from me. You know the scripture of the Lord it's on the refrigerators we all love it the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away blessed be the name of the Lord we don't really mean that We like the Lord giveth We're not that big on the Lord taketh away Amen. You know and as Christians we all like the victories We all love the victories. We love the lives of the saints and love the the lives of the Old Testament people that's in the Bible that had nothing but victory in their life. But God has also placed people in the Bible that had great despair, great discouragement, great trial in their life. And yet they're in the Bible showing that they are people magnified by him of people of faith that he wants you to know about. Think of Job. We kind of like Job because in the end, it seems like he got justice. But in the midst of that, he was down to nothing. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That was, I believe, a key point in his life, a turning point in his life. I think one of the best things we can do as believers, when we are being tested and we have question about our faith, when we feel decreased, decrease, we really equate, once again, I want to stress this point, we equate it to my faith is not enough then. Something happened in my faith. You didn't receive your healing right away. That's really taught in the church today. You didn't receive your healing. It's your faith. Your faith isn't enough. I totally disagree with that doctrine. I think it's erroneous. I I don't think that God's sitting there wanting to point out to you, yeah, your faith sucks. (laughs) It's not him. For me, I love the Beatitudes. It's a place of retreat for me. It's a place I go to in my times of, of uh, decrease. I want to read it. In chapter 5 of Matthew, first verse, it says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them, God blesses those who are poor. And realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What appears to be a decrease is actually a great increase. God, I I, I need you. I don't have anything right now. I can't even make my next month's payments right now. I've overextended myself from my own decisions of using my credit cards, God. God. It's my own fault, but here I am, and I'm looking to you, and he says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. I read a little statement, a meme, I guess it was, or whatever. It says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. God blesses those who, are, who hunger and thirst for justice. They will be dissatisfied. God blesses those who are merciful. They will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You can be counted in a great company of people when you're experiencing decrease in your life, when you are experiencing a removal and a stripping away of securities, of things that you felt were really what made you who you are. The things that make you who you are is standing in the presence of Jesus and acknowledging who he is. It changes everything. I want to close with this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Verse 1, it says, for everything, there is a season. For everything, there is a season. There's a season for good times, and there's a season for difficult times. There's a season in your life where you are on the top of the world. Everything's going right. Everything's going well. And then there's a season when suddenly, in a moment's time, your life can be shattered and shaken. In our seasons, take care. Let me, let me go back to my beginning here. Take care to not become confused with conflicting attitudes, but continue to keep a hold with all that you have of the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. And when you do that, true humility comes upon your soul and it will release the destiny that's on your life. It's not your job title. It's not your education. It's not who who people say you are that releases the destiny. It's the presence of Jesus Christ in your life that releases the destiny that he has for you. Amen. Let's all stand. It's so good to be back. I like looking out and seeing smiling faces. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.